Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Lord, we've gathered this morning for fellowship, to worship you in spirit and truth, and to study your word. So, Lord, speak to us mightily through your word this morning as we study it verse by verse. And, and, and just savor it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. So, Lord, speak to us this morning as we study your word. Thank you for the Lord's day. Thank you for this Sunday. God, thank you that we've gathered. And I pray, Lord, a special blessing over each and every person here, Lord, that as we study your word, that that you prod their heart. Lord, that you speak to them, God. Help us to increase in our faith and our walk. Lord, we love you and praise you. For it's in the mighty name, the victorious name of Jesus we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. I know I did. uh, But I'm very thankful for Sunday mornings. Very thankful for Sunday mornings to be in church, be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, turning your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're studying verses 1 through 17, but I want to start off by reading the uh, first four verses to get our minds oriented in the direction that the text is taking us. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hands and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony testimony to them. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this study this morning. Again, it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thought-provoking question for you this morning. For you to think about as we begin our study here in Matthew chapter 8. What is the relationship between miracles and faith? What What is the relationship between God performing a miracle and the believer's faith? Is there a relationship? Does faith play a role in miracles? Is the question for you to think about and maybe even answer in your own mind as you think about it. And then we're going to study the text to see what scripture says. Or are miracles just a matter of God's sovereignty and we have absolutely no role in the matter? What, what is it? You know, just this past year, I had a brother here in the church, his... Uh, wife got COVID and I went there I saw her Pastor David witnessed her I saw her with my two eyes I saw the morphine drip I saw the death rattle on the chest I I heard the doctors say she's got three to five days I, I witnessed this myself I'm the witness of it and but the faith inside of me said I've got to pray for her I have to pray for her healing and we prayed for her We prayed for her healing. 
And uh, two days, and the, and, they, and the doctors made it very clear to her husband and I that her, her lungs were gone. There, there was nothing left. They were deteriorated because of the COVID. But we prayed for her. And then two days before she was supposed to pass away, the husband calls me in tears and says, you're not going to believe this. The doctors have said that her lungs are perfectly fine and that they're anticipating a full recovery. And we, yeah, praise the Lord. We, we praise the Lord for that. I witnessed the before and after. And there's no doubt in my mind that that was a miracle. That was a miracle. That was a healing. Fast forward six months later, our brother Marty goes in the hospital. He goes in for a hospital for a liver transplant. And the men and the women, we all prayed fervently for Marty. We were praying for his healing. Lord, bring him up. And we prayed for his healing. The ladies prayed for his healing. And then Marty passed away. Marty passed away. And so where does faith and sovereignty meet? Do they meet? What is, what is faith? How does faith play a role in miracles? Um, I was going to say this at the end of my message, but Marty did get healed. He did get healed. I, I'll go ahead. I was going to say at the end, but I'm going to say he was healed. It was God's appointed time. It was God's appointed time. It was God's plan. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed once a man to die, then face judgment. And it was time for Marty to leave this earth and go receive his new body. But, but again, in this life, do you wrestle with faith? Do you wrestle with miracles? Do you wrestle, where, where do they intersect? How does that play into our theology? This morning, you and I are going to study uh, three of Jesus' healings. The, and this all in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. The outline is the leper, the centurion's servant, and mother's, Peter's mother-in-law. And what I want to do as we look at these miracles and we think about these questions in our minds of where does faith meet sovereignty, where does miracles play into the equation, what I want us to do is in each one of these, I'm going to outline it as the situation, the faith, and Jesus' response. So we're going to look at three situations. We're going to, situation. We're going to look at three different accounts of healings in the text, and we're going to ask the question, what's the situation how, what was the person's faith? And then what was Jesus' response? So that's how we're going to look at it. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. We have the leper. The leper. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Verse 2, and a leper came to him. So that is the situation, verse 1. Remember, Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount. Followers that listened to him on the hillside have followed him, and now they come upon a leper. Here, Jesus, the Son of God, comes face to face with the most feared disease of the ancient world. That disease is, is still in existence today in, in, in other countries and other places where there's colonies of these people. But he comes face to face with the most feared disease of the ancient world. I want to read to you what missionary L.S. Huizinga said in his book called Unclean, Unclean. This missionary writes on this disease, and he says, um, he's describing the horrors of leprosy. He says this, 
Leprosy begins with pain throughout the body. The skin loses its color, and then it gets thick and scaly. As the disease progresses, sore and ulcers develop due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, they begin to bunch up, developing deep furrows, and they're swelling so that the face of the afflicted begins to resemble that of a lion, about their face being all bunched up. They lose their fingers and toes because of their lack of blood supply. Because of the sores, the leper would emit an unpleasant odor from their body. Leprosy also attacked their mouth, their throat, and their voice. Their throat became hoarse with a rasping voice, and a foul smell coming, would be coming from their mouth. It was written and said that if you stayed around a leper long enough, a peculiar taste would form in your mouth from the pungent odor coming off of the leper. So that is the situation, okay? I want you to hear that because we don't hear about leprosy a lot in our world today, but it was a very bad disease. Jesus is coming face to face and Jesus is going to do the unthinkable. He's going to touch him. And that was unthinkable in the first century world. So that's the situation. Let's look at the faith. The faith of the individual in the text, and that's found in verse 2. Verse 2. It says, And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, I see in this one verse, I see three aspects of the leper's faith. And I want to draw those to your attention in verse 2. First thing, the leper made a step of faith. He, 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 took, he stepped out in faith. It says in verse 2, the leper came to him. Okay? That's very, very important to note there that he wasn't just waiting around, but the leper made his way to the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just wait around and pray from where he was, but he said, Lord, I'm coming to you. He pursued Jesus is what the leper did. He pursued and went after the Lord Jesus. That's required by all of us, to pursue him with all of our hearts. So that's the first element that we see in the leper's faith, is that he went after Jesus. He came to Jesus, and you need to see that. Second thing it says in verse 2, this middle part of verse 2, he worshiped. He worshiped. Verse 2, it says, he bowed down before him. The Greek word is proskuneo. It means to bow down and worship. So there was this, in this leper, this deformed individual that came to Christ, there was this attitude of worshiping the Lord Jesus. There was this attitude that he was, that, that Jesus was worthy. The leper bowed in humble reverence to Jesus, our Messiah. You know, he, God must have stirred in his heart. I don't know how that element of faith worked in his heart, but God stirred in his heart. And he goes to him, and not only does he go to him, but he worships him. He worships him in the beauty of his holiness. And then the third element of the leper's faith is this. He completely submitted to God's will. And knowing that God was able, look at the third part of verse 2. He he makes this statement, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Sovereignty meet faith. Faith meets sovereignty. You, you, you could cut that verse and you could cut that statement in half if you look at it closely. He says, Lord, if you are willing. In other words, Lord, if it be your will is what, is what, he, is, is what he is saying. Is what he's saying. He's, Lord, if it be your will, you can do this, Lord. And, and, and the leper, he believed in the power of God. He, he said, if you're willing, if it be your will, you can make me clean. That statement, you can make me clean, means that he believed in the power of God. He came with faith, believing Jesus had the power to heal. You know, as we study each of these healings, you're going to see sovereignty. You're going to see faith. And, and, that's what that, and, and you're going to see them come together. Don't ask me to explain it all. I can just, all I can do is teach it and tell you what the Word of God says. But God is completely sovereign. God is in complete control. But we're going to see situations in the text where people have great faith. You know, some people have great faith. Some people have little faith. And some people have no faith. That's the truth of the matter. That's the truth of the matter of the world that we live in. And our, our job as Christians, our, our goal, our, our desire as Christians is to be people of great faith. We'll see that in the next one. But let's not skip the leper. So we see the situation. We see the faith. Let's look at the response. The response in verse 3. It says in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hands and touched him. Jesus here does the unthinkable, what no other human being would do. He touches the leper. We can't, we can't just skip over that and gloss over that and understand, you know, back, back in those days when a leper was in public, uh, they were required to shout out loud, unclean, unclean, so that others would stay clear of them. Nobody wanted to be around them. They were an outcast. They were lonely. They, they lived isolated lives because they had no fellowship and no interaction with other people. But the, not only does the Lord Jesus go to him, but it's, the word of God says he touched him. You know what that speaks of? That speaks of the compassion. The compassion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only were the miracles a sign of Jesus' deity, but miracles in the Bible were also a sign of his compassion. His compassion for those who were broken. Those who were broken. And then the second half of verse 3, look at it. He says, he says, I am willing. In other words, it is God's will. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So the, the healing that takes place here with the leper, it was instant. He was cleansed. He was washed. And he was made perfect. When God does something, he does it right. Okay? When he does it, he does it right. And he does it instantly. It wasn't gradual. It wasn't over time. It says immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I wonder what that was like. The text doesn't say it. But it says immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Did all of a sudden in his elephant-like lion look, animal type look, did all of a sudden he just go back to normal? How amazing that would have been to a witness to see this supernatural miracle where Jesus touches the leper and the leprosy leaves him. Man, 
That, I would love to see a miracle like that. That would be awesome. I, I would love to see a supernatural sign like that. That would be so cool. That would be mind-blowingly amazing. That would cause people to believe in Christ and cause people, as we're going to see in the text, as we continue our study through, the Matthew, through the book of Matthew, that they're just going to bring more people to Jesus. They're going to be like, man, this dude, he is God. He is deity. And he's cleansing and he's healing. This isn't a, a miracle that, that could be hidden. Like, like I, I got a, something wrong inside my body and you can't prove it scientifically or physically. Jesus goes directly to the top and he says, I'm going to heal something that everybody will see. And that is leprosy. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus is telling him, in accordance with Leviticus chapter 14, go and show yourself to the priest. The priests were to inspect a leper before they were welcomed back into Jewish life and a sacrifice was to be made on his behalf. They had strict laws, even from the Old Testament, to separate the people from the lepers because this disease was deadly. And it, it could be passed through the air. Just through breathing their air, you could con- contract their leprosy. So he had to go to the, um, to the priest to be inspected before he was allowed. And then there was also an offering that had to be made that you can read more about if you'd like to in Leviticus chapter 14. So that's the leper. Jesus starts with the, the most feared disease and he heals the leper. Now let's look at the centurion's servant. Look at verse 5. In this passage... Uh, verses 5 through 6 is the situation. Uh, the faith is found in verses 7 through 9, and the response is verses 10 through 13. Let's take a look at it. Uh, verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. So a, a, a centurion comes to Jesus. A centurion is an officer in the Roman army. Keep in mind, uh, Israel and the Jews were under the order of, of, of Rome by the Roman centurions, by the Roman armies. So this guy was likely a Gentile and uh, likely under the leadership of Herod Antipas. And he's pleading for his servant. Now in the Greek, the word servant there is pious. And it's the Greek word that we use for young child. So this is likely a young child back under his control where he's at this tormented and that is sick and and he's uh and it says he's paralyzed at home and he's he's fearfully tormented you know even the centurion this roman soldier he was a man of compassion he saw one of his servants hurting he saw one of his servants with a disease and what does he do he says i'm gonna go to jesus i've heard about this guy jesus I've heard about the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and I'm going to go to him. So that's the situation. A Roman army officer has come to Christ with these Jewish followers on looking, listening. Look at verse 7. This is the faith. Jesus said to him, well, actually it's an interaction. You can see uh, faith and response. It goes back and forth in these texts. But let's look at it. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, I will come and, and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. 
And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does this. So this centurion, man, he's up there. He's a, he's a Roman general, a Roman officer, and he's up there in the ranks. And the three things that stand out about his faith is, if you go back to verse 5, we see that phrase again. He came to him. The Roman centurion came to Jesus. His faith was not passive, but his faith was active, okay? It's one thing to say, I believe he can heal. It's another thing to say, Lord, I'm coming after you with all my heart. You know, it's, it's, more, than, it's more than just, just to have mental assent to truth, but it's when your, your whole life follows your belief and trust in Christ. So his faith is real, it's active. Notice there, um, he says in verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. You know, the Spirit, God revealed to the, to, to the Roman centurion the holiness of who Christ is. He acknowledges the holiness of Christ and his own sinfulness. I hope you're taking notes because I think in each one of these, these are all different aspects of how we come to Christ, of how we approach him, how we approach him in our faith and our walk with him, how we approach Christ in, in our prayer life, how we approach Christ in our devotions to him. And especially if you're praying for healing or you're coming and you're asking the Lord to move mightily in your life, I think each one of these needs to be considered. But he acknowledges the holiness of Christ. The angels surround the throne, Revelation chapter 4, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When you understand God and his holiness, it will cause you to understand you and your sinfulness. Okay? Let me repeat that. Once you understand God and his holiness, one of the evidences that you understand that God is holy is it will cause you to understand how sinful we, you and I are. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all missed the standard. But God is pure, perfect, and he is holy. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. So that we could be forgiven of our sin. But he, he, he acknowledges the holiness of Christ. And also, the second half of that statement in verse 8 Notice it says, notice what his, 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 his spontaneity of his statement, the end of verse 8, he says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Again, here's that sovereignty and faith. He believed in the sovereignty of God and in the authority of Jesus' words. He says, just say the word. He's saying, Lord, I believe every word that you say. And if you speak it, God, if you speak it, if you say it, it will come to pass. And, then my, and, 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 and my servant will be healed. So we see his faith of coming to Christ, acknowledging the holiness of Christ, his own sinfulness, believing in sovereignty, and also acknowledging the, the very authority of Jesus' words. Now, you and I today, we don't get to hear Jesus' audible voice, but we get to hear his voice through the pages of Scripture. And you and I should have the same response 
to the word of God. Okay? You and I should believe in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It was given to us. We have it even better than the first century. The first century, they just heard bits and pieces of Jesus as they were in the crowds, as they were there at the cross. You and I, we have all the words of Jesus. Praise the Lord. And we hold to the authority of his word. So this, this Roman centurion, this Gentile, this Roman officer, he has faith. Let's look at his response. His response is in verses uh, 10 through 13. Verse 10, he says, Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now notice who he's talking to here. It says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following. So this is an object lesson. Not that he's speaking to the Roman centurion, but he's speaking to the followers. And Jesus says, man, I'm impressed. This guy's got great faith. He, he acknowledges that the, the faith in this Roman centurion is higher than the faith of others. You know, this is proof that there's not just one level of faith. Some have great faith, some have weak faith, and some have no faith. Okay? And what you and I need to do, Christian, is grow in the Word of God. Grow in grace. Grow in our relationship with Christ so that your faith grows throughout the Christian life. That you believe Him and trust Him for everything. That's what Christianity is all about is growing in your faith in the truth of God's word and in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is overwhelmingly impressed. Uh, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone. And this also would have been a rebuke to the Jews because he's a, he's a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. And here Jesus is speaking to the followers saying, this Roman soldier... He has great faith. This is speaking of a Gentile. Let's continue verse 11. Now, as we're reading verse 11 and 12, keep in mind, Jesus is not speaking to the Roman centurion. It helps you understand this passage. He's actually speaking to the followers that are watching this interaction between him and the Roman centurion. Look at verse 11. He says, I say to you, talking to the crowds, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. See, the Jews had this mentality that the kingdom of God was just theirs and that God was going to come and establish his kingdom just for the Jewish nation, just for the, the land of Israel, just for that people group. But we know from the rest of Scripture, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, and all the texts, that, that Jesus was coming for the entire world. So look at what he says to the followers who've, who listened to him teach the Sermon on the Mount in verse 12. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's warning the Jewish followers, if you don't repent, you will perish. And that perish means hell. Jesus is making a statement, not to the centurion, but to the followers. And this was a warning to them to have a strong 
faith in Jesus. That being Jewish was not good enough. Just being Jewish was not good enough to get you into heaven. You have to have a strong faith in Jesus. That's why we preach and teach by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If there's anything you're going to get from Calvary Chapel Irmo, is we're going to teach you guys, trust in Christ. Grow in grace. Live your life in complete surrender to Christ. Because it's all about knowing Jesus. Don't misunderstand me when I make this statement. It's not all about knowing the Bible, as important as that is. But it's about knowing the Jesus in the Bible. Okay? That's the purpose of all the scriptures. It's so that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And apart from Christ, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. It's outer darkness. It's weeping and it's gnashing of teeth. That's the consequences for sin. But we know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Yes, to save us from hell, but to grant us eternal life and clean heart and forgiveness of sin. So here Jesus is making this this statement to these Jewish followers and this centurion that, and not only is the Roman centurion a Gentile, but this is also a prophetic picture of Jesus himself pointing that the gospel will go outside the walls of Israel into all the world, into the Gentile world. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now I find this interesting in verse 13 because it's almost Jesus, he changes his mind. Look back at verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus says to him what? I will come and heal him. Jesus is so impressed by his faith. Now in verse 13, he says, no, I'm not going to go and heal him. Go, go, it shall be done. It shall be done for you as you have believed. Jesus speaks the word from where he's at and the servant, wherever the servant is, is healed instantly. But the word I want you to see, I think the most important word in verse 13 to get your, get your minds thinking about um, sovereignty and faith, miracles and faith, is that word as. Look in the middle of it, verse 13. It says, go and it shall be done for you. That word in the middle, as. That word as, the Greek word is has. It's, it, it means, according to uh, Vine's dictionary, it's, it means the same just as in like manner. So it's the relationship between two events. So this word as is tying the beginning of the statement with the end of the statement. And here Jesus is tying the centurion's faith to this miracle of healing. Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. We see this multiple places in scripture. And we're going to see that a lot in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus comes upon a situation where there's going to be a healing and he references the, um, the individual's faith as, as a basis and a foundation for his response in healing. I want to show you a couple of them. Matthew 9.22. Matthew 9.22 says, which will be there in a couple weeks. But Jesus turning and seeing her said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith 
has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. Then Matthew 9, 29, we'll see it again. Then he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done for you according to your faith. So we see this throughout the scriptures of, of, of miracles and faith, sovereignty and God's request. You know, God is completely sovereign and complete control of everything in the universe. But the way I understand it is under the umbrella of God's sovereignty, he's given men and women the gift of prayer. They can move the hand of God. He controls it. He's sovereign. But he gives us the ability to pray and ask God to move mightily in certain situations in life that would not happen unless we pray. So we need to be thankful for prayer. We need to be thankful that we can go to our Heavenly Father and we can present to Him the most difficult situations that we face and then we can rest in His sovereignty and then we can rest knowing that He will take care of it. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the third one. The third one's very short. It's just two verses. Um, this is Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 14. Just two verses here. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. So we have the situation, verse 14. What's the situation? It's Peter's home and his mother-in-law is very sick. That's all we're told. The, the faith, we're not told. <laughs> we're, we're, the, the text doesn't give us who, who, who made the request? You know, maybe it was Peter. Maybe it was a servant. We don't know for sure. Maybe it was just the Lord Jesus Christ in his omniscience as a sign to his disciples and his followers. Maybe he just knew to go. It could be that. So we see miracles and we see healing happening in all different kinds of ways. So you can't nail God down to a science that if you do X, Y, Z, this will happen. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work because it, it does it in different ways. The response, look at verse 15. The response is he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. The response is the great physician, he touched her. One touch from the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal God, touch the lady and she is supernaturally healed she is raised up it says it says she got up and she didn't waste no time in serving the lord look at the last three words of the verse and and waited on him she understood her lord and savior she understood that he had healed her he had raised her up you know if we understand the miracle working power of god the miracle of salvation if you understand that God has completely forgiven you of all your sin and he's given you a new heart, he's wiped the slate clean, there ain't but one response. And that response is, Lord Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to live my life for you. She had the right heart. She had the right attitude. He touched her. The fever left her. She got up and then she waited on him. In other words, she served the Lord because he was the great physician. Verse 16 and 17. 
as we wrap this up here. It says, when evening came, they brought him many who were demon-possessed and cast out the spirit with a word and healed all who were, who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Isaiah, if that's, that's verse 17 is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 53. But if you go back to Isaiah 53, that passage continues. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We need to be reminded of what God told the Israelites in Exodus 15, 26. He says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am Jehovah Rapha. Now, can I tell a believer who's facing a sickness, who's facing a disease, that God will heal you? Can I? I say yes. I say yes. He, first off, you need to keep in mind, every single one of us is going to face death. But the minute you step out of this life and you step into eternity, you are going to receive a brand new body. The bottom line is, the bottom line, the truth of the matter is, every single one of us in this room will die of a disease. And that disease is called old age, sickness, where you just get old and you pass away. That's part of the curse. But when you step into heaven, everything will be completely healed. You will have a brand new body. That is the promise of scripture. So even all these people, and and all these people eventually died. Keep that in mind. All these people eventually die. You and I will eventually pass away. But our ultimate healing will come when we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's the way I look at healing today. The way I look at healing in the Bible and I look at healing today. What healing is today is just a touch of heaven. It's just a touch of heaven. It's like, hey, this is a taste of what you're going to experience when you get to heaven. A brand new body, free of disease, free of sickness. So what is the relationship I want to go back to my question. What is the relationship between faith and miracles? Is there a relationship? I believe Matthew chapter 8 here teaches us that miracles are not only, and they are, a sovereign move of God, but they're also a response to great faith. Throughout text, you see multiple places. We, as we study the Gospel of Matthew and then eventually we go into the book of Acts, you're going to see where sovereignty and faith intersect. They are tied together. They, they, they're, they're a response to, and some people will say, well, that's, God gave you the faith to believe that. Okay, I'm cool with that. But the bottom line is we exercise faith and we exercise trust in the Lord. You know, I believe the reason we don't see miracles today is because we're in our comfort zone. We have our theological systems where we think we have God completely figured out and there is no room for great faith in the supernatural. We will defend miracles in the Bible and we will will argue and defend miracles in the Bible but when they happen today, us, the same folks that that defend the ones in the Bible will will doubt them today. Now let's be honest. We're, We're naturally born skeptics when it comes to the supernatural because we're not used to seeing it. You know, uh, miracles make us uncomfortable. You know, 
Some people say, well, what if God doesn't answer? My response is, what if he does? We don't know. Our hearts rest. We know that God hears every single prayer. Okay? We know God hears every prayer. And if God so sovereignly chooses to heal someone, then praise the Lord. If he doesn't choose them, or excuse me, if he doesn't heal them, then, then he, it was his plan and his will to take them home. You know, Marty was healed the day he left that hospital room and he went to be with heaven to be with Jesus. He received a healing. So I, David Ford, I refuse to give in to skepticism. I, I refuse to give in to unbelief. I will believe and trust Jesus for everything. And I encourage you to do the same. Lord, if it be your will, we submit completely to the sovereignty of God. But Lord, we say, give us faith. Give us faith to believe you. Give us faith to trust you. Not as a word of faith or name it, claim it, or, or none of that stuff. But just to say, God, I believe the promises of Scripture. I believe the promises of, of the word. And I'm going to trust you no matter what. That is the kind of faith I believe that is exhibited throughout the Gospels. And he requires of us, do the same, family. Trust him for everything. You know, we love talking about Jesus and, and talking about his titles. And Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is your Passover lamb. He was the lamb that was sacrificed at the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus is your high priest. In other words, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, representing you right now. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one that redeems us from the curse of the law. Jesus is our sovereign Lord. It means he controls it all. And it's all under his umbrella. It's all under his plan. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He brings us peace with God. He brings us peace in our soul. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. He's the one that rescues us from sin, and he's the Lord of our life. And I present to you this morning as by way of reminder that Jesus is our great physician. He is our healer. Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee, Jehovah Rapha. Understand that and trust him for everything in life, no matter what you face, no matter what difficulty, no matter what the doctor says. We have to trust the Lord. We have to trust the Lord that he will lead us, guide us, and direct us. And so as we study these miracles, it, it, Matthew's gospel really brings out the, the sovereignty and the faith. And you see Jesus responding to great faith. So it's going to be a great study, and I hope you look forward to the rest of this gospel. But understand that Jesus is our healer. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician. You are our healer. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we magnify you. And Father, I just pray, God, that you, uh, as, we, as we've seen, we learn from the leper that you have all authority and all power over every sickness and disease. We learn from the centurion that, that we need to grow in our faith. And so, Lord, help us to have great faith. And, Lord, thank you for the, the, the account of Peter's mother-in-law. 
Lord, you see it all. You know it all. You know it before we ask it. You see the the inner workings of our hearts and even our physical body. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. ask you to be with us now as we close out your word and we go about our week. Help us to be strengthened in our faith and our walk with you, knowing, Jesus, that you are the great physician. For us in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.